All right, church, as you're seated, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Either open them up or turn them on, whatever applies to you. It's going to do something really uh, rare and unusual for me. I've got uh, two references for you today. That's it. Usually we'll go anywhere from 10 to 20-something different passages of Scripture, but today I've got two. So I want you to find your place in James chapter 3. We're continuing our series through the book of James, and then also we'll wrap up, and you'll know when I'm about ready to stop, when we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So James chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you'll find your place in both of those spots in your Bible, that'll be awesome. This morning I want us to realize that as we walk through our day-to-day lives, we're faced with many challenges struggles, obstacles, trials, temptations. I believe it's for this reason and based upon this understanding that James begins this next section that we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks, beginning here in verse number 13 of chapter 3 and going into chapter 4 up until verse number 12, that James is going to be addressing uh, three key issues in life. The first issue that he's going to address is that of wisdom. Next week, we're going to see how he addresses that of friendship or our loyalties. And then uh, the week after that, he's going to circle back again and, and, and talk about our speech, our language, the things that come out of our mouths. And so we begin with verse number 13, and it starts off with the question, who is wise in understanding among you. We'll just stop right there. Uh, we've got to understand what question is he truly asking us. And for us to have a, a better understanding and appreciation for the question, it would be helpful if we understood uh, the definition of the terms that he just used. So we'll start with the, the word wise. Wise. Uh, wise was a common Greek word that's used here for speculative knowledge and philosophy. Now the Hebrews, they infused this Greek word with a richer meaning of skillfully applying knowledge to the matter of practical living. That's a beautiful definition of wisdom. I'll give it to you again. Skillfully applying knowledge to the matter of practical living. So he says, who's wise? And then he uses this word understanding. And this is an interesting word because this is the only place in the New Testament that this word is found. And so it's the only place, and that word in the Greek, it means a specialist, or it means a professional who can apply their experience to practical situations. So, so James is saying that he's writing to Hebrews, and, and the Hebrews, when they received this letter, they would have understood because they realized that true wisdom is not just intellectual, but it's behavioral. In other words, it's not just what you know, it is rightly applying what you know to what you do or, or how you live your lives. And so James is asking the question, who is truly skilled at the art of living? That's a good question. Who's truly skilled at the art of living? Which brings us to the section of wisdom. And there's two types of wisdom. The kind of wisdom a person possesses 
will be revealed by how they live their lives. So those who possess the wisdom of man will demonstrate by their actions that they have no saving relationship with Jesus Christ at all. If you possess the wisdom of man, then you're revealed by your actions that you have no desire to worship God. You have no interest in serving Him faithfully. There's no interest in following Him consistently or obeying Him completely. Which means if you don't want to worship Him, to follow Him, to obey Him, if that, if that attitude and that mindset isn't in you, it's revealing that you don't belong to Him. Because those that belong to Him, those that are His children, will possess the wisdom of God, and the wisdom of God will manifest itself in how you live your lives. And so he says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. I love that James says, let, let him show his works. It's the first, as far as I know, it's the first recording of the game, show and tell. He's saying, show it. They'll just talk about, let, let's just go. Let, let, let's see it. Let, let's see it. Wisdom is not just measured by the amount of degrees that you have, but it's seen in the deeds that you do. Or another way of saying it is wisdom is not a matter of, of acquiring truth in lectures, but applying truth in living. And so he uses this phrase, the meekness of wisdom. And if you'll think back several months ago, we did a, a sermon series through the Beatitudes, and in that we realized that meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength or, or power under control. And so the one who is meek is not someone who is weak or, or cowardly. A, a meek person is someone who loves people, loves God, and loves peace. Therefore, they're willing to walk humbly among others regardless of their status or regardless of their circumstances in life. The meek person desires to be a friend to all and to help all in their time of need. So to walk in the strength of meekness means that you look at circumstances and you want justice and, and what is right to be done. So it is a, a weak-minded individual that will ignore or neglect evil. It is a weak person that ignores wrongdoing, abuse, or suffering. If someone is suffering or struggling in life, then meekness steps in to do whatever they can to assist that individual. If, if evil is being done, then meekness seeks to step in to that circumstance to, to address and to stop the evil and to encourage and to promote good being done. And so the meek person is a person who seeks only to glorify God and to make His glory known. They have no interest in catering to the, to the needs or to the whims of other individuals. And so the phrase meekness of wisdom is really an interesting one. Because you have meekness, which is the right use of strength or, or power, and you have wisdom, which is the right use of knowledge. And so both of these things go, go together. 
the truly wise person will show in what they do and in what they say that they truly belong to God. Which means attitude and action go together. And James tells us that, that there are two sources of wisdom. And we need to be extremely discerning as to where we get our wisdom from. There is a wisdom that comes from God. It is pleasing to God. And it is good for us. Then there is a wisdom that comes from, from man and, and that is not pleasing to God. And it's not good for us. And so it gives us the positive aspect of wisdom and he gives us the negative source of, of wisdom and so he starts with the negative first he's going to talk about false wisdom or the wisdom of this world and look at verse number 14 it says but if you have bitter jealousy selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast and be false to the truth this is not the wisdom that comes down from above but is earthly unspiritual demonic for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So let me unpack this a little bit. Let me, let me kind of show you some of the characteristics of false wisdom or worldly wisdom. Uh, the first one that he identifies is bitter jealousy. Well, some of your translations might render that as envy. So, so he says one of the characteristics of, of worldly wisdom is envy or bitter jealousy. It's easy to let pride and ego get in our way of faithful service and devotion to God. I mean, even the, the most well-intentioned among us can get caught up with, with pride and envy. In fact, we even see it played out in scriptures at some point today, not at this moment. We're not going to read it, but at some point, I would encourage you to look over and read through Luke chapter 22. Because even in that account, you'll find the disciples were caught up in some of this bitter jealousy. Because there was an argument that arose between them as to what? Who was the greatest among them? Their pride and their ego was getting in their way of their faithful service to God. Yes, we should be zealous in our service unto God, but we need to make sure that our motives are right. The wisdom of the world seeks to exalt man and deny God of his glory. So it is proper for us to ask ourselves, is our zeal or our enthusiasm for service, is that spiritual or is it carnal? Or another way to say it is, uh, do we rejoice at the success of other people or do we silently wish that we were the ones that were getting the attention when when when, when uh, someone does something great in the name of our lord do we celebrate that accomplishment or do we have a tendency to look at them and think i could have done that or i could have done that even better when people are struggling and and suffering in life, do, do, do we feel sad because of that? Are we happy when we see that? Or, or are we indifferent to it? So one of the characteristics of, of this worldly wisdom is that of envy, bitter jealousy. And then there's the element of selfish ambition 
or your, your translation might render, render it as strife. This one, uh, you'll remember this one, I promise you. Because uh, the Greeks, when they used this word, they used this word to describe a politician that was out canvassing for votes. Now think about it. This word is used to describe politicians who are out canvassing for votes. Worldly wisdom says to get all the support that you can, to do whatever is necessary, or to say whatever is necessary in order to win the favor of people. I think they had a good definition of this. And we see it played out. It doesn't take long until we begin to see how this approach begins to have a negative effect on a group of people. I mean, our country is filled with division and dissension. We're going into another political cycle. It's like we're always in a cycle of this. And, and we're going to see this get played out. And we see its effect on our country but you got to also understand, when this begins to infiltrate into the church, it is so damaging and destructive. When we begin to elevate our personal desires or our wants and our witness or our wishes in front of the betterment of the kingdom of God, then there's a problem. And so one of the characteristics of, of worldly wisdom is selfish ambition. It brings about strife. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 3, I'm going to slip this one in on you anyway. It says to do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. That's the opposite of selfish ambition. So here we have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. Number three is that of boasting. Boasting. Pride loves to boast. There is a way to report blessings so that God gets the glory, but there's also a way to report blessings so that we take away from glorifying God and we put that praise upon an individual. And we need to be very, very careful of that. In Acts chapter 12, verse number 23, it tells us how an angel of the Lord struck Herod with worms that ate away at him until he died. All because the people gave praises to Herod, and instead of him deflecting that to God and pointing people to, to the glorious God of, of the heavens, he took those praises for himself. And so that's what happens with worldly wisdom. We begin to, to feel that pride and we, we boast and, and we seek the praises of other people, which leads us to a fourth characteristic, and that is of deceit. Verse 14 says, but if you have better, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Not false to the truth. Instead of advancing the truth, some are lying against the truth. In fact, false wisdom works against the truth. It's an outright opposition to the truth. And that makes sense when you begin to understand what the source of false wisdom is. And thankfully, James tells us in verse number 15, he says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, 
He says it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. James traces all of these tendencies back to their roots. It's essentially, uh, James is saying to us, do you know why you're doing the things that you do? Do you know why you're cutting up people with your words? He says it's because you're being led by a wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. What you are is what you live. And what you live is what you sow. And and what you sow is what you reap. And so if we live in man's worldly wisdom, we're going to sow sin and strife. And if we sow sin and strife, then ultimately we're going to reap, according to verse number 16, we're going to reap disorder in every vile practice. But if we live in God's wisdom, we will sow righteousness and peace. And if we sow righteousness and peace, then we're going to reap the blessings from the Father. And so now he gives us the good example, the true wisdom, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The Christian life is about sowing and reaping. I guess for that matter, all of life is about sowing and reaping. We reap that from which we sow. And so the Christian who obeys God's wisdom sows righteousness, not sin. They, they, they sow peace, not conflict. And so if we live our lives and enable the Lord to, to pour out His blessings in and through our lives, then we must live our lives in accordance to the source of true wisdom. In other words, there should be certain distinct characteristics about true wisdom that also manifest itself in our lives as well. You know, we just work through the negative stuff. And as we looked at the negative, we really should have stopped and paused and, and, and gave consideration to, is any of that stuff currently in my life? Do I have strife? Am I a person of strife? Am I struggling with envy? Am I boastful? Is my life or my language, my tongue filled with deceit? And then if you're free and clear from that, then we're going to look at some good characteristics of godly wisdom. And I want you to understand that as we work through each of these, and we're going to do it very quickly. We have to be honest enough to say there's not a single one of us that perfectly reflect every single one of these godly characteristics. So let's stop faking like we've got it all together. And let's be honest enough to say, man, I'm struggling and you're struggling. And on this road of sanctification that's being played out in our lives, sometimes I'm doing really well, sometimes I'm not. So, so as we go through these characteristics, I want you to think on which one of these characteristics are you needing help with in your life today. So let's begin. He says, the first of all, it's pure. 
pure simply means that it's free from all the things that characterize the false wisdom. It's free from envy, free from strife, free from pride, free from deceit. So it's pure. Then notice it's also peaceable, which means it delights in peace and it seeks to promote peace. Would that be a characteristic of you today? If strife and conflict is always around you, you might want to consider stopping to see if you are a peaceable individual. So first of all, it's pure. Then it says it's peaceable. It delights in peace. Pursues and promotes peace. Then it says it's gentle. Gentle. means it's not combative. It's not abrasive. It's reasonable and courteous. It's open to reason. Open to reason. Open to reason means that it's willing to listen. It's willing to hear. It's willing to correct itself when it's listening to others. It's willing to yield itself when necessary as a result of being able to to listen and to receive. Are you open to reason? Or are you so closed-minded that says, I'll never hear another opinion, another viewpoint, another expression announced without just automatically rejecting it? Are you open to reason? Are you open to correction? Are you willing to, to yield when necessary and to make changes when necessary? And then it says that it's also full of mercy. Mercy means that it shows compassion to other people that are in need. It doesn't just look at somebody that has a need and say, oh, God's blessing and favor upon you. No, it seeks to meet the need of a person. And that's what it means to be full of mercy. It's to have that compassion and put some action behind the feeling. Does that describe you? Are you willing to help and to engage and, and assist people in their time of need? Full of good fruits, which means it's rich in good deeds and good works. Not that it occasionally, when it's conveniently, does something good, but consistently and faithfully seeks to do good works. It's impartial. It means it treats everyone fairly, everyone equally. It doesn't show favoritism. Then he goes on to say that it's sincere. It's genuine. It doesn't put up a front. It's not hypocritical. It's not a life filled with hypocrisy. And I think our lives are often filled with hypocrisy. And to understand the, the significance of that word, it would help us to understand uh, the usage in which we first found it. To be a hypocrite. A hypocrite was a, a theatrical term. It was used by the Greeks uh, in, in the early days. They would, in the biblical times, they would do plays and stuff, but their plays would be like uh, two actors would do the, the, the whole entire play. And so two actors would fill the role of six to eight different characters. And the way that they would fill those roles would be they have a mask that they would hold up in front of their face. And the mask was a term that was, we get our word hypocrite from. It's to speak from behind a mask. That's what it means. 
So I'm just curious. You don't have to raise your hand. How many of us are speaking behind the mask today? We put up the mask that says everything's good in my life. Oh, I had a great week. But in reality, you didn't. And things aren't good. But you grab that mask to put up the front so that you can speak from behind it, hiding and concealing who you really are. Oh, don't you realize how beautiful it would be if we all made the commitment to each other that said, one, I'm not going to bring a mask into this place. And two, I'm going to love you, respect you, be gentle with you, and care for you as you make that commitment to also not come into this place hiding behind a mask. Do you realize how much freedom we would experience if we would just truly love each other, encourage each other, support one another, if we would just stop trying to pretend like we've got it all together, if we could build some trust and honesty among ourselves where we know that we could come into this place and we can be free, we can be open, and we can share our burdens, we can share our struggles with a group of brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to love us through it all. That's what it means to be sincere. And that's God's wisdom. So the question becomes, do these characteristics describe who you are? Are you pure? Are you free from bitter jealousy, selfish ambition? Are you free from pride or deceit? If so, are you peaceable? Do you delight in peace? Do you seek to pursue and to promote peace in your life and in the relationships that you have? Are you gentle? Are you open to reason? Are you full of mercy? Is your life characterized by good deeds? Do you treat other people equally? Are you, here's the beautiful truth. When we allow this wisdom to guide our lives, the result of being led by the wisdom of God, the result is a harvest of righteousness. Righteousness is, of course, right conduct. It's right living. Righteousness means that we're living in accordance to both the Word of God and the will of God for our lives. And James has put forth quite a challenge. What he's saying at every point of our lives, and especially in the things that are done and the things that are spoken, that we have the opportunity to demonstrate to the world that we are being led by a wisdom that is not of this place, but comes from above. And the beautiful reality of all is, is that as we seek to demonstrate godly wisdom in our lives, then we have reason to believe that those who are non-believers will take notice of what we do and how we speak and they'll be so drawn to that that they'll have an interest to know what is this about you that's so different and that's so critical because can the world look at you and, and make distinctions that you're not like the rest of the world? It ought to. 
Because we should be overflowing with the wisdom of God and overflowing with all of these characteristics that we should look strange and foreign in the place that we live. And the beautiful truth is as people see that, they will be drawn to that. And when people are drawn to that, then we get to point them directly to Jesus. Because here's the beautiful part. Turn with 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Some of you think, oh, it's almost done. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the beautiful part. Paul writes and he tells us that Jesus is the wisdom of God. There's a beautiful section here in 1 Corinthians that talks about how Jesus is the power of God and he is the wisdom of God. I just want to read through that real quick. Beginning in verse number 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So, how we live is a result of what we believe and what we think. It's a reflection of the wisdom that we have in our lives. And so there's only two sources of wisdom. Wisdom that comes from God or wisdom that comes from this world. So, what does your life reveal about the source of wisdom that you have? Does that make sense? What does your life reveal? What, it, what can people see from the things that you do and the words that, peop, or the words that you say? What do they reveal? What's the source of your wisdom? And if your life is filled with strife and envy and jealousy and all of that, then know that your source is coming from a demonic source. May you recognize that, repent from that, and ask Christ to forgive you and commit yourself to fully living for Him. Like, are you all in 
with your relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you said, here I am, like take me. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'll go wherever you tell me to go. I will say whatever your word commands me to say. Is that you today? Is your life the characteristic of who you are? Is it reflective of worldly wisdom? I'm wondering this morning, what is the characteristic that you need God to help you to strengthen in your life? Can you identify at least one? And if you're willing to identify at least one, are you willing to pray and ask God to help you strengthen that which is weak in you? Can you do that today? I hope so. Father, I pray that you'll help us. Help us to, to truly seek to honor and glorify you in everything that we do and in everything that we say. And God, we recognize that we are in this process of sanctification being played out in our lives and and sometimes we're doing well and sometimes we're not god the goal is for us to have that desire to have that longing and to walk in faithfulness the things that you've called us to do if there's anyone that's here this morning and they have no desire to worship you no desire to fully submit and surrender their lives to you they have no desire to be in your word and to rightly apply that word to their life god i pray that you'll bring salvation to those people and for those that believe i pray that we would fully embrace godly wisdom in our lives that we would do right with what we know that we would long to know more of your word and to rightly apply it to our lives. Help each and every one of us to identify the areas that need to be strengthened and the areas that need to be eliminated. May we confess them unto you. May you be pleased by what you see in us. This time of invitation, Father, I pray that you get all the glory that you deserve. The glory that you deserve from children that belong to you, faithfully submitting and surrendering their lives unto you. We ask your blessings upon this time. To Christ's name I pray. Amen.